0: Hello, this is Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. Our podcast series examines from a range of perspectives how firms are tackling the issue of consumers in vulnerable situations. Hello there, welcome to the podcast. Today we're coming from Lloyds Bank in London Square Mile, the historic location of much of the capital's finance industry. Now, what were you talking about in 2004? The government's plan to ban smoking in pubs, the merits of the 10 countries joining the EU that year, or a new TV show called Strictly Come Dancing. What most of us probably weren't talking about, however, was mental health. Now this may seem hard to imagine, but in 2004 mental health was not quite on everyone's lips, and it certainly wasn't a public concern of financial services firms. This, however, changed with Professor Elaine Kempson's independent review of the banking code in 2004, where she made the recommendation that banks and building societies took action on the most appropriate ways to assist people who had been diagnosed with mental health problems that could impair their ability to handle money. In doing this, Kempson set in motion a chain of events that would change financial services forever. 14 years later, mental health is arguably one of the most talked about issues in financial services with industry best practice guidelines, tools and training programs, a host of research studies, television awareness campaigns and even two national charities with mental health and money in their names. So in this podcast we take stock and ask two questions. What progress has really been made on the issue of mental health and money and where might this extraordinary chain of events lead us next? To help us with these questions, I'm joined by four people in the studio.
1: Uh, Martin King, Head of Customer Vulnerability at Lloyds Banking Group.
2: Sarah Murphy, Associate Director for Advice and Information at Reefing Mental Illness and overseeing the management of mental health and money advice.
3: Thomas Richardson, I'm a clinical psychologist working in the NHS, I certain NHS trust and I'm also researching finances and mental health.
4: I'm Dan Holloway, I'm a writer, a mental health activist for the past 10 years or so um, and a once world intelligence champion. And we're,
0: of course, as ever, joined by Minesh Parikh, our producer who oversees the series. So, one just quick note before we um, we get going. Um, throughout, we'll probably all use a range of terms to talk about mental health problems. Now, while we know that language really does matter when it comes to mental health, we've all agreed to sidestep a debate about definitions or ontology, unless we really have to get into that. And instead, we'll use these terms to refer to just a set of changes that can happen to a person's thinking, feelings or behaviour that can often last for some time, and which can significantly alter affect a person's everyday life and relationships, and while these changes might result in a medical diagnosis, uh, we recognise that this isn't inevitable, particularly where people may not be aware they have a problem. So let's start. We're going to start talking about this, this progress over time and our perceptions of this progress. Uh, and we're going to talk firstly to kind of Martin King, who's been at the centre of strategic operations with Lloyd's on mental health right across the banking group, and also Dan Holloway, who has our personal and campaigning insights on mental health and financial services. So, Martin, just to start us off, why is a bank like Lloyd's so interested in mental
1: health? So mental health is, uh, I think you've already kind of alluded to, it's a a subject that's gathering significant pace externally across general society, not just within banking and finance. But when we think about uh, how do we look after vulnerable customers, uh, mental health sits alongside a number of other vulnerabilities. So it's it's not a siloed point. Uh, It affects a large proportion of our customers. But also, more interestingly, we have over 70,000 colleagues who work for us and fundamentally how they react and their own mental health will impact on how we look after our our own customers. So it's, it's one of those areas where understanding it is, is key. Uh, how do we actually address it? Uh, but also the fact it permeates through an awful lot of our interactions day by day, regardless of the channel. So whether we're doing face-to-face, over the telephone or even online, someone's mental health will be impacted by their money day in, day out. Well,
0: that's that's really interesting. So it's, it's a multi-channel Approach to so looking across face-to-face, uh, voice, correspondence, digital, and it's both about staff and it's about the, the customer, the prospective customer. So how far then have you come on mental health? If you had to think about the last five years, what would pe- people perhaps notice compared to five years ago to where Lloyd's are today? And what might also go unnoticed, the, the, the work that goes on under the radar?
1: So I think, uh, how far have we come? Uh, it feels like an awful long way, but not far enough. So I think that there, 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 there's a, <clears throat> the fact that we use the term, the fact that we have it written in policies, we have it within procedures, we are training people on how to spot and identify uh, and encourage people to disclose. That's great, that, that's kind of where we've got to, but we're trying to move a, a cultural dial, not just within a bank, but generally in financial services, it's gonna, it's gonna take a number of years. It's, it's not gonna really be a one and done, and we all say, yes, we've, we've achieved it. Um, how we look at mental health within our collections and recoveries practices has changed dramatically. The fact that we actually have the term in our training modules, mm-hmm. the fact that we are looking at uh, the differences between certain conditions and, and colleagues on the front line are saying, I am now coming across this, please help me. So mm-hmm. actually the front line are now saying, I don't have enough, as opposed to walking past and ignoring and, and not knowing how to react with a, the with a customer they say, I, I have got X condition and please help me with Y. So I think we, we still have more to do, but we have come a long way in this time. Mm-hmm. And how many customers
0: and how many staff are we talking about? Just get a sense of the scale of the So
1: journey. as an organisation, we have seventy over 70,000 colleagues across the breadth of the UK. Uh, and in terms of uh, customers, up to 25 million, depending on which parts of uh, our banking uh, and, and financial services business that we have. So quite a sizeable number. Um, Dan
0: Holloway, we've heard about Lloyd's there, and we'll come back to some of the uh, the practical things we've done, some of the examples and the initiatives that'd be really useful, Martin. But Dan, um, thinking more broadly and, and, and on a personal level, and also as a campaigner with many years' experience in this area, how far would you say financial services has come on mental health? What's what's your scorecard?
4: It's Well, several points. The first is it's fascinating sitting in a room like this because I feel like I have two hats in my life. Um, Whenever I sit in a room like this with people like Martin, I get a sense of organisations that really want to change and are changing. And obviously we've done work together for more than 10 years now. Um, There are guidelines in place, reports have been done. There are even longitudinal reports that are well into that longitudinal area. Um, But then when I put my hat on, at home when I go into the bank often nothing, it feels like nothing has actually changed in my experience um, so if I were someone who didn't have both hats, if I if I only had my personal hat I might feel as though nothing has happened if I only wore this hat, I might feel as though we've come a million miles um, and I think there can be that misperception from both from both sides um, so people inside the industry at the highest level can often feel they've done more than they have people who are just customers can often feel as though nothing has changed and the truth is exactly what Martin said that it's somewhere between the two mm-hmm. um, so where, where the, is it not, go on, go on. So I was going to say the, the picking up another thing that Martin said about collections um, one of the things I've noticed and it is the right place to start is that there's a massive change if you have a problem. If your finances have become a problem, then banks are getting much better at dealing with your mental ill health. If you are someone who wants to access a service, so it's nothing to do with having a problem, it's just you want to access a service, then there isn't that specialism there. The the teams that aren't teams dealing with problem debt don't have the expertise that those collections teams do. So if I want to go and get a product, so if I want to go and get a mortgage, or if I'm dealing with fraud, for example, then my experience will be very different from if I were to have problem debt. And
0: quite recently, um, you had some contact with wasn't quite satisfactory or hit the mark on the consumer <laughs> level. W- w- without mentioning the the organisation Lloyds. there's a look of relief there for Mike. it's kind of a. Just tell us a bit
4: more uh, about that. It was it was to do with communication styles, um, and it was to do with uh, with experience of fraud um, on a credit card, and it was it was my my wife's credit card and. My wife went online. My wife's autistic and has bipolar disorder. Can't use the telephone, so you can. Martin's nodding his head. He knows where this is going. Um, went on onto the web chat. Explained this. Explained that there there had been a text to it to say that there was a problem. Can I can I web chat someone? The answer straight back. Call this number. I'm autistic. I can't use the telephone. Can we do this by web chat? Call this number. We can sort it out. And in the end, I had to go into a branch of this bank. It, it, en- it ended up there was no answer online through the web chat. I had to go into um, the branch, and literally the, the branch person spoke to their fraud team for 45 minutes, got nowhere, um, because there is a barrier with different types of legislation you've got consumer protection legislation which says we have to watch out for fraud we have to protect you from fraud therefore we have to do everything by telephone which apparently is miraculously much more secure than email um which is very strange assumption um and then you have the equality act which says we have to provide an accessible service and it's an immovable rock and an irresistible force and there was no answer
0: so so martin Dan is highlighting a situation where maybe some of the fundamentals seem to be in place, we mentioned kind of collections activity, but actually when it goes beyond that the whole mental health challenge and agenda starts to
1: creak, creak a little bit, how, how would you respond to that? Uh, I, th- I think it's really interesting when we consider, uh, you talk through the number of publications and the number of people have spoken, they are, that interesting that a lot of that has focused on debt when things go wrong with their finances. And that has allowed us as, a, as an industry and certainly as an organisation to navigate to what I would say at the period, the points of criticality. So actually if you, uh, and not to, to just um, kind of reduce the, the criticality of a fraud case, but actually sourcing out someone's debts is, is a very, very important part, especially in this environment. And that's where we put a lot of our focus, time and energy, because that is where uh, we, we need to really be thinking about I think now we are starting to get to that point as a certainly as one organisation I think there's an industry where actually mental health is it, and then pro- mental health problems need to be viewed in a similar way to we have done with other parts of our organisation step free access, how do we do accessible statements but understanding the condition I think we are, we've moved on so far, we still have an awful lot to do and, and I think the other part, um, delivering change in an organisation that has the size of the numbers and the breadth. Uh, has two great, pos- two great, two parts. One, when we do it, it hits the UK population in, in, a, in a large way, great, big tick. Trying to deliver consistency through 70,000 humans who will also go going through their own personal circumstances and day by day is incredibly tough, um, and doing that at a time when there's not a small amount of regulatory change anyway, so, so whilst we talk about mental health and vulnerability, and it's my my area, I'm sitting alongside GDPR. I'm sitting alongside all the other various regulatory pieces. So I think it is. It, it sometimes feels like an oil tanker, mm-hmm. and actually delivering technological changes a bit easier. Yeah. Delivering change through people is always going to be tough. So
0: you're turning around the oil tanker here. That's yeah. the kind of the analogy we, we use. So how far around is it? It's kind of
1: we've, we've, we've kind of we've moved the wheel. Uh, we've got the engines ready, and I think we are. We've got the captain ready to say actually that's going a different direction, and uh, yeah. it's a different direction on not just one plane but on multiple planes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that we've done plane number one. We're not done. So I, I want to be really clear. I think we have moved the dial on collections and recoveries, but there is always. More, And there will always be more in everything we do mm. about trying to provide an individual outcome and circumstance to each individual. Uh, which is what we talk about a lot in vulnerability and doing that on an operational scale is always the the challenge we face.
0: And we'll talk about that a little bit more in terms of how we look beyond collections, how we think about point of sale, how we think about customer service, how we think about accessibility and Dan, so the old tanker is turning, Martin is telling us Uh, some people might say uh, smaller boats I'm going to stretch this metaphor uh, like Monzo or Starling are moving a lot more quickly and that can be very frustrating for people kind of um, who are living day in day out just trying get on with their lives and deal with uh, the mental health issues in, in their life. So we're, given this old tango is still turning, kind of how can we help organisations such as Lloyd's in addressing that range of mental health experiences, in looking behind the label and getting a sense of kind of how they really could engage with this in a way that would be meaningful to you, to your wife and to
4: people out there? Um, I think I, well, I want to answer by focusing on three three things very quickly that Martin said, which I think is absolutely right. Um, that yes, you're absolutely right to start with problem debt as the starting point to see things out because that is the where it's really critical. Um, it's also the area where you'll see the biggest positive impact on people's lives and that will then incentivise your staff because they will see the difference they're making organisationally, you'll see the difference you're making and that will encourage you to do more. So it's the biggest driver for change internally as well as externally. So that's that's brilliant. I absolutely agree that you have a massive problem as a large, historic organisation compared to little firms just starting, um, and that's really, really difficult to address. Um, one of the obvious ways to address that is through technology, which isn't a popular answer because one of the really posit thi- positive things that I think can happen is to make to bring a consistent service. Um, is to automate a lot of the things that are currently done by humans. Um, and that's a really, obviously a very really controversial thing. We talk about different mental health conditions. A lot of people like to talk to a person, and that's an essential part of their mental health condition. A lot of people like not to talk to a person, or need not to talk to a person, and that's an essential part of their mental health condition. Um, and I think, personally, the, the more that can be automated, Um, the more consistent because we know and we know from your research that the one factor that changes someone's experience is the experience of mental ill health of the person they're dealing with in the organisation. That's the one critical factor that makes your experience better. So we do get people with inconsistent experience and I think AI and automation is going to be either working with people AI working in conjunction with the frontline staff or AI on its own through chat is going to be the answer to consistency problem.
0: Thanks, Dan. We'll come back to technology at the moment, and Dan referenced uh, a research study conducted um, with my colleague Jamie Evans and Sharon Collard, uh, uh, Bristol, which we'll put on the uh, podcast uh, kind of webpage. Now, listening to that and nodding, and they may want to pick up on some of the themes in that. Uh, we have uh, Tom Richardson and uh, Sarah Murphy. Now, we're all familiar with this idea of the relationship between financial difficulty and mental health, and kind of alluded to by both Martin and by Dan. And we know stats show that there's uh, people with debt problems are as likely uh, to develop mental health problems and we have case examples always brought out is of a bipolar disorder which I know Mm. is one of Tom's specialty areas. Tom can you just tell us a little bit about this this conundrum of financial difficulty and mental health? How how does it all work and kind of how can we learn from this to apply it to kind of other areas of financial
3: services operation? So, as has kind of been alluded to already, it, it is complex and, you know, when I started off my research, I started off doing a, a meta-analysis on debt and mental health, so specifically about unsecured personal debts. You're going to have to tell uh, us what a meta-analysis is. so it's when you put it's a geeky thing where you pull together all of the published research and put all the numbers together and that, yeah, that showed three times more likely to have mental health problems if you're in debt, and vice versa. Um, But what's happened is, as I've done more and more research is actually, I've kind of moved away from sort of saying I research debt and mental health to saying more broadly about finances because they're so, it's so complex and they're so inextricably interlinked. So for example, when I looked at financial problems in students, debt didn't actually have an impact on mental health, the amount of debt or the amount of tuition fees you paid, but struggling to pay the bills did. And then there's other research that, that kind of um, that has been published that it's not so much how much debt you're in that is the problem; it's how much you worry about it, how much control you feel you have over it. So it is all interlinked. And it, it you know there's some people who will have two grand overdraft and not be bothered by it. There's other people who will have two hundred pounds and will panic. And this is where obviously I'm biased, but the the psychological aspects are really interesting. Um, and something that we could potentially intervene in so there's lots of relationships and I think that it's interesting the kind of Dan and Martin are saying about it's gone beyond debt because yes there is lots more beyond debt you know if someone's anxious it's hard for them it might be hard for them to plan ahead to you know make a budget to open their bills even so it's not just about whether you're in debt, whether you can pay the bills. So
0: we'll come to those psychological aspects. Yeah. Let's just bring Sarah Murphy in here. Now, Sarah, you oversee the Mental Health and Money Advice Service, which is the first UK service to combine support for both mental health and financial problems. We should say it's, it's funded by Lloyds. Is that I correct? yeah that's I was right kind of, I'm glad that's correct. It's kind of a have been embarrassing if it was. was wasn't uh, So, can you tell us about a bit about the service and some of the themes that you've heard from Tom there about the psychological aspects being more than about debt and some of the issues that kind of Dan and Martin have alluded to in relation in relation to that, either that human contact or that kind of automation. It's kind of how yeah. what, what's your take on yeah.
2: this? So, the reason that we set up a Mental Health and Money Advice was to try to tackle both of these problems together but thinking about money in the round not just about debt which everyone's kind of um, alluded to already and the issues around budgeting about understanding your rights around what welfare benefits you might be entitled to um, all of those things are very stressful and if you are already living with a mental health problem then you need to 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 understand what you can access and how you can deal with money in an appropriate way regardless of whether you've got debts or not So the service is a telephone based service, covers all of the UK and it offers a holistic uh, approach to looking at money and mental health so we will do a welfare benefit check and we'll help people make a claim for appropriate welfare benefits or help them appeal decisions if it it doesn't go their their way. Uh, We will help them with budgeting and looking at income maximisation options. talking people through budget sheets and where they might be able to save money in different areas, um, applying for grants and trusts that they might be entitled to, again regardless of whether there's any debt, but of course we will then support with debt issues as well. So the service launched last November. there's a, a website which covers a wide range of, of, of money information through that mental health lens, including how to pay for social care, um, prescriptions, um, the, the health aspects as, as well as the money aspects. And then the telephone service, it's a really small team, um, so the only way that we're helping people at the moment is if they're referred to us by certain referral partners, um, and that's where we give them that holistic advice and take on casework if we need to.
0: So we so we, we, we um, a consumer can't contact the service directly. There has to be a referral. A refer- that's right. From 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 who from a from a GP from a psychologist like Tom or from a, a bank or yeah.
2: So at the moment we're trying to build up our referral partners. Um, as it were we're quite a baby service. So at the moment um, there are four mental health charities who run services across the UK, um, and their services can refer in. So rethink mental illness, Havel, Mindwise and Support and Mind Scotland run housing services, advocacy services, community services. So if people who are affected by mental health issues are accessing those services and have a money issue, then those services can refer in. We've also started a partnership with National Deadline, with Step Change, uh, Shelter Cymru, uh, Advice NI. We are liaising with some NHS providers in Scotland and trying to um, get them on board um, and Hopefully, very soon, money advice service will be able to refer in as well. So, so this is very
0: interesting. Listeners might be thinking, well, shouldn't advice services across the UK be able to deal with um, people with mental health problems and financial difficulty? So I'm wondering, what 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 extra? What do you do differently that maybe um, a step change or a national deadline or a citizens' advice doesn't do with its yeah, clients?
2: Yeah, I think when we set it up, what I wanted was a one-stop shop where people could come to us and just feel, oh, I'm understood. I'm not judged, this, this person gets all of the issues and can help me with all of the issues. I used to work at National Debt Line and I was very frustrated, sometimes on the line because I could give some excellent debt advice, obviously, um, <laughs> but I couldn't advise on welfare benefits and if you're working on a budget sheet and actually that person's got a deficit budget but could do with some welfare benefit advice, I wasn't able to go and help them with that. Um, I would have to then signpost them on and just hope that they got an appointment. They'd have to then you know, tell their story all over again. Um, so we wanted, and, and I also couldn't, because at the time I wasn't trained on it, support in any way around any mental health issue. So what's different is, it's a one-stop shop. We can explore, are people getting support for their mental health? Um, if not, you know, talk through the options for where they can go um, to get that, that care and support. Um, Are they getting all the welfare benefits they're entitled to? If not, we can help you apply for that. Have you got a debt issue? Yes. Okay, we can we can help you with that. And it's the same advisor who will deal with all of those issues. So people aren't having to, um, you know, if you've built trust with a the person, then then that's the same person that you've you're, that you're dealing with. or what
0: through. what scale of organisation are we talking about here? How many clients are you uh, people are you seeing? How many people work? Yeah. So
2: it's very very small. Um, it, like I said, it was set up last year, thanks to fund. Funding that was raised by Lords Banking Group colleagues, so the money was fund-raised, um, and there are twelve advisors on the advice line, so it's it's, it's pretty small considering it's covering all of the UK. Obviously, the website we've got great, huge reach. So we launched last November, and we're coming up to about two hundred thousand people now who've accessed the website, and we've helped just over a thousand people um, on the advice line itself in terms of casework, uh, and we've had really positive results. Um, we are being independently evaluated and we're asking people you know, our aim is to improve people's financial and mental health and um, so we are asking people whether or not we have made that change and um, it is showing that we are improving people's financial and mental health and we've also had positive gains around um, welfare benefits sort of debt managed and it, in terms of that financial gain it's coming close to about one and a half million pounds just in that short time. Okay. Okay
3: yeah it's very interesting when you're saying Sarah about the reason it's set up I mean that, that's exactly what I kind of see the issue is that historically and it's starting to change and what you're doing is a big part of that which is brilliant it, it, it's two separate worlds two separate services you know this has got a ridiculous artificial distinction that there's mental health problems and mental health support and then financial and financial support and neither the twain shall meet and that is that that's often been a problem and that's something that to be honest often happens in the NHS is that it's kind of like well, we're talking about your mental health and then if you've got problems well I'll give you a, a fly for a debt advice or whatever and there's often not Enough joined-up thinking. Um, where I'm working, we're lucky that we've got kind of financial advisors and employment advisors as part of the team. That, but that's not that always, usual, is that? It, it's not usual, and and the reason for that is because we are integrated with the council, so social services. So we do have kind of financial advisors housing support, that kind of thing. But that's not always the case, and then it, it, people get passed and politicos, and people fall through the cracks. So it's exactly the same. In the NHS is what does sometimes happen is um, people who have, for example, mental health problems and drug and alcohol problems, and there's a massive overlap, just like finances and mental health. Um, sometimes what happens is, you know, oh, you're depressed and you're drinking, so go sort out your drinking with this different service, mm-hmm. and they don't show up, and they're so over, they're so overlapping, they're essentially, the, the, the way I view them as a psychologist is they're, they're two parts of the same problem. So that's, it's really difficult to tackle both of the same, both truly integratively when there's two separate things so I think that the changes here that have kind of been talked about where you're really trying to integrate the support and the awareness in terms of finances knowing more about mental health and mental health knowing more about finances is brilliant you know they're two parts of the same problem you've got to try and tackle them at the same time
2: and you asked earlier, Chris, about why other advice agencies aren't able to, to do that. I think, as you just said, Tom, there's, there is this separation, but also within the advice world. So you go to this organisation for debt advice, you go to this organisation for welfare benefit advice, um, you might go here for housing, here for social care. Um, and the, the way that the funding streams are set up, it kind of forces people down that route. We've been very lucky in that we've had you know almost like unrestricted money to allow us to, to combine all of them. But going forward, when we're you know, seeking further funding, it's going to be difficult because if we apply for debt funding, are they only going to fund part of our service because the rest of it is mental health and, and welfare benefits? In terms of other advice agencies, I think they are all acknowledging and realising that you know, probably the majority of clients out there are coming to their door, have mental health issues, and there is training out there um, for advisers in and, and dealing with mental health. Um, but I guess unless you're doing it all day every day then you know you're not going to be an expert in it and also again because of the funding oftentimes people are limited in terms of the amount of time advisors are limited in terms of the amount of time they can spend with the client Um, and actually what we're finding is you know we don't have those time limits we can spend the time that we need with the client to to get the outcomes that you know they're they're hoping for Um, we don't have a three strikes and you're out rule if people you know drop off in terms of contact, we understand that um Probably a we of reasons for that, so we will keep on trying to engage mm. with, with those people. So.
0: I like the um, the allusion um, to kind of unrestricted funds, not kind of a phrase that you hear very <laughs> often, I mean, these, these days. And it, it is interesting in terms of um, uh, 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 being funded by a commercial organisation through colleague fundraising to then fill in a gap that perhaps doesn't exist through kind of s- state funding. And maybe that's something you can come back to kind mm. of later, Sarah. Martin, you wanted to come in? Yeah, I
1: wanted to come in and, and, and talk about, I guess, um, the various parts of the health service and the various parts of the, the device sector uh, are sat in the, the, the various silos and I think as, as us as a bank we are trying to work out where, where's the line mm-hmm. on when, in terms of our role and where do we draw that where do we start to either go too far or not far enough and I think this is where In other areas of the vulnerability spectrum we are starting to get those lines which is very helpful because i guess the the other part of it is is beyond that line what is there to support the individual and uh we are social workers we are a bank we are health professionals we are a bank and and it's actually now having these types of services which are maturing almost at the same time as the industry is maturing that is actually providing a much better route um so we are hopefully able to deliver a better outcome, but they do need to mature at the same time because, uh, again, advisors on the phone taking a call, they could be taking hundreds of calls a day, we unfortunately then get to a flip side point where they get the roller deck out and they check which one of my support agencies do I refer? This one is at one of the hundreds or is there a couple of key centres of excellence almost similar to what we've discussed here that can do that holistic. Support? Well I was going to ask about the centre of excellence
0: um, idea in terms of kind of spreading that expertise from the uh, from the service to other people in the advice sector. Is, is that part of the thinking and the plan? Because um, often you get centres of expertise that lock it up and it's not available uh, for operational or kind of funding issues, but seeing as you've got unrestricted funding, um, is there a plan to kind of uh, make this uh, widely available to kind of advice service colleagues, advice sector colleagues?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the scale of the issue is, when, when are we going to be able to address it on our own? And I think collaboration across all sectors is, is the way forward. Um, and so, we're, like you we said, we're working with some of the big players in the, in the sector now anyway, um, and hope that that kind of partnership will continue on. Um, in terms of training and support, almost being like a specialist support service for that range of of advice agencies we'd certainly be keen to explore. We wanna get over our first year of just being as we are and then take stock and and, and look look forward and see what we can do. Um, But certainly we're not precious, We're in the business of helping our clients, and if that means working with others to do so, then that's what we want to do.
0: Dan Holloway, um, you mentioned at the start the two hats. So I'm going to ask you kind of what hat you've got on at the moment. We're in some positive words here um, about kind of the advice, um, uh, the advice sector, the involvement of um, financial services organisations such as Lloyd's and and others who are kind of putting funds and time and effort into this about the work that's happening in the NHS, and we'll hear a little bit more there uh, a bit later on. But Dan, I mean, would. This is intriguing. Would any of this have, have helped you personally when you had your own experience of financial and mental health? And is it reaching others? Are they aware of this? Is it kind of trickling down?
4: Are they aware of it? Maybe. Um, I don't know how much actual awareness there is on the on the ground. I think the two things that wouldn't have helped me, but obviously they are... Are a result of the position you're at and the fact that you are new and small. Um, are the fact that it, it's referral-based. Um, so if you're not in the system, then you can't access this. So if, if you're, you can't go direct to something, which means you are no matter how good the service that's being provided is, you're reliant on another service also being good enough to refer you. Um, so that's obviously a point of potential failure. So. We all know that again, it
0: comes back to inconsistency. Mm. Um, Sarah, how d- what? We'll come, come back, come back. There, just hold that thought. It's how how do people who are in need of advice with a mental health problem get that from you? Is it just purely through the referral, or is there plans to expand it so we, we can ring or we can contact? It's can email.
2: Again, it's going to be down to a future funding mm. um, yeah. with twelve advisors who are working quite intensely on all three of those issues with a client. Um, they're limited in terms of the new number of new clients they can take on in any one week or any one month. Um, obviously, if we had unlimited funding and therefore could employ a huge amount of advisers, opening it up to the public would definitely be the plan, and also um, opening up the channels, um, so it's not just, te- we'll never be a face-to-face service, but not just telephone online um, that, as well. That's, that, that would that's, be the ideal, definitely. That's
4: really, that's encouraging. Um I mean, the, the problem that I tend to find is that I there is a group of people who because they've landed in the right postcode have access to a lot of services and there are people who have access to nothing and it, what we don't want is for all these great new things that are emerging to be bolted on to the people who already have access to great services but not given to the people who don't have access to anything um, and obviously the, the multi-channel thing is the other thing that a telephone service wouldn't have helped me mm-hmm. Um so it has to be multi-channel in order to be accessible. So that's, that's I think, key. Okay. I just
1: wanted. to, I think there's a, another key part, certainly for us as an organisation and in the general industry, is actually people trusting us to tell them that they've, they need a bit of help and support. And I think that's uh, incumbent on the gen- one general society, but also the industry to say, if we know, it's a lot better than trying to guess that you've got a mental health problem. Um, I think that relies on us, improving our understanding, knowledge, capability, but also you can only come and drive that trust up if you react in an appropriate way. If you start to say thank you very much for telling me you have a, a mental health problem, I'm now gonna do this to you, versus actually that's really interesting, let's see how we can work together. And I think that, that is that almost that next sea change that um, that we all are now talking about this wonderful word, but actually taking the action forward that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I had a great example the other day of uh, a customer in one of our branches, uh, who was sat in the queue, looked very agitated, one of our cashiers went round, said, can we help you? And they was very, very fearful, uh, but seeing that we'd done lots of work with mental health, so I thought she'd come in, sat down with one of our advisors, uh, and the advisor just helped them go through their budget, paid some bills off for money that they had in their account, but they were too scared to pay the bills off, um, and caked them through that anxiety and reducing that down, customer came back in a week later and said I've finally bought, got my first flat I've finally got my independence wow, that's brilliant. what that person needed yeah. was very different to the next person yeah. but actually reacting at that particular time has now meant their anxiety of walking into a bank has mm. dissipated mm. It, may, it may not always be gone uh, but it really showed us and it was great these stories that you hear from the front line I think was a, as a key learning for us is it's not always about whizzy product services technology it's about
4: reacting at the right time with the right outcome And that oh. Sorry, I, I was going to say that that's where the issue obviously you have is with 70,000 staff um, because it's like we always hear about one bad review does the damage of 10 good reviews. Um, it's not that it's not a bad experience someone has had that will stop them going to the bank it's the fear of a bad experience and they only have to know one person who's had a bad experience for that fear to be there and what will over overcoming that almost rumor is a massive job so that, yes, yeah, so if, if things are going to go forward, that public relation exercise of there being no-one in your circle who's had a bad experience is is a really, really big obstacle. Tom? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah.
3: so um, that is what I'm hearing here is this theme of kind of... There's a couple of themes. One is about kind of communication and, and one is about flexibility. You know, Dan, you were saying about needing to kind of... The, the needs will differ depending on the person and the problem. And that's what I'm saying about the relationship is complex. For some people, it's involved spending. For some people, it's avoiding paying bills. And what Martin said there is a brilliant example of being flexible. So that's that's really important because I think it's very easy to think that it, mental health problems are all in this. It's one category and there's one problem. And it's so much more complex. I mean, me and Chris yeah, are about to have a paper published about Impul- finances and um, bipolar disorder. And even just for that diagnosis, there's it's this complex diagram of avoiding finances, overspending to try and, you know, make your family appreciate you and um, all this stuff. And then hopelessness and all this stuff. So it's lots of things. The other thing is of communication and um, Martin was saying about kind of what is our role. Uh, when I was saying earlier about, you know, there are separate services, that you know that's always going to be the case to the extent and you know sitting here as an NHS clinician I'm not expecting obviously it's not appropriate for you know banks aren't there as a replacement or an alternative to the NHS they're not there to diagnose but it's trying to make things a little bit easier um, a little bit of a, a sort of a nudge to get people so making it easier for people to disclose you know trying to reduce the amount of kind of stigma and shame and I think the um, campaign that you've got, um, um, get the inside. Out. Yeah, That's it. Get the insight out is a brilliant part of that as well. But there's also communication. When you were talking about kind of you know referral into your service Sarah and it made me think of a few years ago when I did some training on local universities about the research I've done about finances and mental health in students. And so you had some, some people there from the counselling service or the you know the GP service for the universities, and some from the financial advice and the best outcome I had was just at the end one person who hadn't met someone, you know, one person for financial advice who hadn't met someone from the counseling service said Let's meet up and try and just get a bit of a fast track referral system. If you're working with someone who's really struggling about money and you think it's making them really anxious or depressed, Brilliant. That's all it is. So it's just, you know, there will always be separate institutions. But if there's any ways just to try and increase communication and awareness in this part of that, so it's just trying to make things a little bit easier, a little bit less friction, both for services but also for clients, so that they feel like it's easier to approach.
2: Yeah. Because you mentioned earlier Dan, about choice and not having that choice in the fraud yeah. issue and i think our service is never going to it's not going to be for everyone um, but if, if people have a choice then then that's great um, but, it, but i think otherwise there, there, there isn't that, that choice available Let's open
0: the discussion up a little bit more, I think we've got into our stride now. You're kind of talking to one another, which is great. It's, um, we've established that um, financial service operators and firms can play a role in identifying and responding to consumers with mental health problems. Um, we know that there's a, a reasonably mature debate that's taken place over the last 14 years around mental health and financial services, but this isn't kind of trickling down sometimes to the front line despite great initiatives. Um, we also know that the uh, Financial Conduct Authority um, are mulling over introducing kind of minimum standards uh, for vulnerability, and kind of mental health will come come under that. So I'm going to give you a, a magic wand or a stick, or even a carrot, whatever you like to hold in your hand while you answer this one. Um, what, if it was down to you in practical terms, kind of what changes in practice and minimum standards would we introduce on mental health? In other words. What are we expecting financial services firms to do day in, day out, consistently? And how realistic is that going to be for organisations kind of such as Lloyd's to kind of kind of pick up and, and others, sort of course? So who wants, who wants to start? Who's, who's got a carrot or a wand?
2: Uh,
3: I think the first thing I said before is about encouraging openness, you know, mm-hmm. helping people kind of self-disclose, and there's a really big movement on that. The second thing is just, I know from research I've done that actually a big thing that turns financial difficulties into poor mental health is the sense of control you have over them so how much control you have the sense of agency so if you've got you know two grand and you really feel like you can't ever do that and you feel hopeless and there's nothing you can do it's out of my hands then that really has a big impact on your mental health so I don't have a specific thing but anything that can be again this theme of flexibility anything that means that people can get some level of ownership feel a bit more in control of their finances and it might just be kind of making little tweaks, you know, is there anything we can do differently in terms of, you know, is this bill we're sending you a bit too intimidating? I know that's a big ask, but anything that means a little bit of control back to that person so they can make kind of um, minor tweaks as well. And one of the things kind of for bipolar disorder, for example, we've talked about technology already, but... um, there's a lot of potential for technology, but also for some people with bipolar disorder, I've spoken to a lot of people in the kind of group I run. Actually, the fact that everything is getting so much easier and frictionless is a real problem because you can impulse spend, you know, so easily. You know, websites keep your cards, contact list. you don't have to remember your PIN number, and they even, they used to accept it in gambling shops, which is a problem. So, anything that means that people can get a, a little bit of flexibility. Whatever that may be, t- so that they feel like they've been listened to and they've got a bit more control over the situation, I think would be brilliant. And, uh, that, that's, that's a
0: challenge, Sarah, because yeah. often uh, people can have more than one creditor, mm. and if you uh, if you factor in letters, communications, which are difficult from one creditor, and then times that by seven, I think step change. Say the average person has six to eight different types of debt. Mm. That's awesome. Uh, how how can we kind of uh, give people this control? Simplify things.
2: That is. A good question. I mean, I was thinking about your original question on the the way down, and the things that I had been thinking about were around, well, the things that we see on the advice line in terms of the main issue that seem to be pushing people into a problem is just how easy it is to get credit. And that's oftentimes because it's been made on a decision, a computer-based decision, about what's on your credit reference file, rather than an affordability decision. And actually, whether you have a mental health problem or not, or having lots of debt might then uh, trigger a mental health issue, um, is there an onus on the financial sector to ensure appropriate lending decisions based on affordability for everyone anyway? Um, There's obviously that issue around people want things now, quickly, fast, but is there a way that technology can help in that um, in terms of... I went to some talk around there being a, a, an option for data to be taken from people's bank accounts so that they can actually see transactions rather mm-hmm. than just an income or, or watch your mortgage or your, your rent payment, actually what's going in and out of your bank account every month. Could you then afford this, this payment? Um, and if that could be done quite quickly, then that might bridge that, that So
0: these seem to be um, quite things that would apply to everybody, mm. so uh, the, the affordability aspect would be a, a universal consideration, the control aspect is yeah. something that isn't just for people with mental health problems, exactly. but it applies to kind of, talk to all of us. And
2: yeah. um, good customer service as well. I was thinking about this, is, you know, it's about talking pe- to people as a, as a human in a nice way and taking into account their particular circumstances and flexing your approach. And actually, should that be for everyone anyway?
3: But, but what you're saying like it applies to all of us, it, it does, and I, I just, this is very much a psychologist in me coming up, but there's a bit of an artificial distinction between people with mental health problems and the rest of the people, and it, it's not that simple. You know, I'm here as an NHS clinician and a researcher, but I have mental health problems, I'm under mental health services, I have bipolar disorder, and it's not, so it, it is on a continuum, so it, it's not just about the people who are under mental health services. Um, I think it's just broadly speaking about wellbeing as well. So you know the campaigns that are just trying to get people to talk about stuff, to be open, reducing stigma. That you know it helps all of us, not just people who might have a diagnosis. So.
4: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I absolutely agree with that. But the, there's obviously the the danger then is the we're all a bit syndrome. Yeah, true. Yep. Where actually there are people who have needs above and beyond what everyone else has um, and the the well-being agenda that's very easy to think that that means everyone's needs are the same and if we do well-being right everyone will be sorted um, mm. but to return to the magic wand I think the thing for me would be to ensure that that first contact almost the the first response on someone's face or the first the first gut response that you get when you say something is a positive one um, and is not judgmental because literally the the five seconds after you disclose something will affect how you then deal with the financial sector for years to come Mm -hmm. even if you have the right thing said back to you if it's said in the wrong tone of voice, or the person has to think to remember what to say correctly, or has to think to overcome their personal prejudices, then that you've lost that person. So I think that I would wave a wand to say that my first response when I say something to someone in the financial sector is always a positive one, and it it's always a, thanks for telling me, let's see what we can do. Mm. And,
1: and Dan, I think the interesting part is uh, when we say people and persons, it's actually yeah. does the channel react? In exactly the same positive way. And I think, certainly as a as a firm that has I think 12 million over over 12 million people using online banking, and most of our transactions have been done that way. Um, it is a challenge. So I'm kind of here as the person's going to receive these sticks um, and ones to, to go and uh, kind of play through. And I think for us, um, and I'm not that's, that's speaking as the whole industry, but um, what to do in what scenario, at what mm. particular time, um, is really tough. Mm. And I think it would be really helpful to understand, I think you're pointing around, we've written a, a paper on bipolar and there's God knows how many different yeah. <laughs> myriads of, of people, of things that need to be done or could be done. If that's one mental health condition, multiply mm-hmm. that by 10, 15, 20, and then we're asking our frontline colleagues or our automated AI services to deal with them, deal with that exactly, the, your point you raised, Dan, at the first point, not the second point, the third point, and the fifth point, that I think is going to be the, the big challenge for us to face into, um, not just as one industry, but as the whole of the UK, because if you get it wrong the first time, you're never going to get to the second, third, fourth, fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does apply not just to mental health, but we talk about, um, we do a lot of work around domestic abuse, and it's exactly the same point when somebody discloses that they're a victim of domestic abuse, how you react at that point will determine actually what happens in, for many years, many, many years. Um, so I think that that is the challenge, is how do you boil that into those things that can be done operationally, those things that need to be done exceptionally, those things that should appear in policy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and then those things that just become as is, and our inclusive design, the old, uh, Chris, you used the drop curb design. What, what can be drop curb designed out, but also what needs to be above and beyond? And it's, it's, it's
0: about reducing um, a lot of complexity to simplicity. So for a commercial organisation, boiling it down to things that can be delivered on an operational workflow with a hundred other kind of pressures from the regulator. But the danger and the risk, and I'm glad we're all aware of this, is that those with the most complex needs then, then miss out. And it's great that kind of fundamentals are being addressed in relation to mental health, thanking, acknowledging. But there are going to be people with very complex kind of situations uh, who who need additional help. Tom.
3: Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Everyone's right. mine's right. It is complex. There's lots of different relationships between finances and mental health. So it relates to it's, it's not about one size fits it. all you know it's unreasonable sitting here as a clinician to think you know for someone working in a bank to understand all of the mechanisms that are going on you know it's very complicated that's unreasonable to expect that and I think this relates to this idea of control it, it's more just about making it easier for people to disclose and giving people permission to ask and obviously we don't know how much is going to be reasonable in terms of changes but just helping people so we mean i to say to people what would help here are some options, give them a little bit more of a sense of control. And then that balances the relationship between the creditor and the service user. You know, working with people who are anxious and paranoid, you know, they will catastrophize about the worst case scenarios, they will worry. So they will help be thinking all of the worst case scenarios about what might happen. So, just for someone to kind of ask, is there anything we can do? Mm-hmm. And it to be more of an innovative, non judgmental way relating to, to what's happening. it that levels the playing field and it helps people be open. Because the, the bank isn't going to have all the answers. Yeah. It's just about opening up that communication. And there's, there's a risk here,
0: is there not, that commercial organisations work at such a pace? particularly, although you refer to the oil tanker, that pace can seem particularly rapid when you're trying to introduce change or trying to change practice. And turning to kind of the voluntary sector or to people with lived experience, how do we, how do we manage that? I've noticed in the last five to six years that the demands on time for input and expertise on the voluntary sector and people with lived experience are often quite, quite huge and there's that conflict between seeing a, a, a huge opportunity to change and uh, also kind of uh, maintaining your own well-being and getting on with your day job. Um, do we have any thoughts about how we kind of keep that balance? balance, and all obviously Lloyds have got behind the service and provide some funding for that, which is a welcome injection of funds, and I know it's raised by colleagues. I just wonder how do we
1: maintain that balance to make sure the commercial sector doesn't rush off into the next intervention? I I, I think it's uh, it's beyond just mental health in in the various other parts, but it it also feels that the voluntary sector and the third sector and those in policy have been pushing at this door for an awful long time, and it's almost the door's swung open, the person's trips over the front door and, and finally finds himself in the house going... I've been knocking on this door for years and years and years, and what, what do I now do? And I think that almost becomes needs to become a, n- a normal type of approach for the, the third sector to engage with organisations in a, in a commercial environment, I mean, not just banks but other sectors, because actually all the other sectors are realising as we become um, more and more digital, more and more uh, chasing the same kind of organised customers, and we have all the same customers that actually expectations are rising individually. That's great. That's absolutely great. So it's dragging, almost the consumer is dragging the the commercial organisations. And we also recognise very, in the last couple of years, is that we do not have the answers, which is absolutely brilliant in my opinion, because we realise that actually we can go and get the answers from the people that do. But it it does require, almost the the scales need to to balance at the same time.
4: Obviously, the the, the thing I've done to keep that balance is to set up my own with the help of Oxford is to set up my own company to do just that, to turn that lived experience into... The help of Oxford, not the whole of Oxford,
0: although I'm sure they're behind um, you. Well, Oxford
4: University Oxford, Innovation. Yeah, so um, tell us a bit about that. So, so, yes, I have been given support to set up a company which trains organisations in, in creative thinking, but it's largely around inclusivity um, and how to how to run an inclusive workplace. Um and be creative around that. So that that's one thing that's, that it is possible to do is to not have the day job and this other thing, but to a new sector, I think it will, be, it will be brilliant to see a new sector emerging of not quite social entrepreneurship, not quite charity work, but entrepreneurship with an inclusive dimension that can work in partnership with
0: that's great, and we'll we'll put those details onto the onto the website. It brings up entrepreneurship and technology was one mm-hmm. of the issues. That I know lots of people. Mm-hmm. If we're on a flight coming back from Malaga, by the way, the, uh, the the tables would be now put into the upright position. Please move your seat towards <laughs> you entry in the last ten minutes of the of the podcast, Tom. You, you're interested in technology. In fact, that's how we, how we how we met right back at the start. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about some of the work you're doing around technology and financial difficulty and mental health at the moment?
3: Yeah, so I've, uh, there's some ideas I've had relating to the research done about bipolar and finances. Um, I do I'm working on, but I'd, I'd like to think about in the future being a bit more clever and specific and psychological about testing out kind of when people are manic. You know, we've talked about this, Chris, you know, trying to work out when they are manic when they might not have capacity rather than just I'm going to opt out of this because obviously it fluctuates. Sometimes they'll be fine and sometimes they'll be very unwell. So that's kind of one one idea I've got. And I've I've been working in my role outside of the NHS um, with Silver Cloud Health who uh, do computer based CBT and they, they do a lot of work in the NHS, kind of CBT online for depression, anxiety. So what we've done is we've modified what they've done based on my research and kind of findings from the literature to try and break the link between finances and mental health psychologically. So it's kind of an online module called called Space and Money Worries, uh, nine modules. So it tackles avoidance around finances, challenges, negative thoughts about finances, the stuff for, you know, psychological strategies like mindfulness to reduce impulsive spending um, and then kind of therapy techniques for if people are bankrupt, if they're very hopeless. Um, ways to try look to the future with hope when you know, the worst happens. So, it's really trying to inject a bit of um, psychology into what the research shows links finances and mental health. To try to break that vicious cycle. And
0: this would be for people, so additional support that they can have on their own phone, uh, on their kind of uh, their computer or whatever, yeah. just to kind of uh, monitor, manage, and think through some of the decisions they're making over time.
3: That's right. Yeah, it's, it's trying to it's trying to sort of join the gaps a little bit between you know. When, banks creditors aren't they're not going to do mental health care and then maybe the NHS doesn't have a lot of time to go into the details of what, how much someone's worrying about their finances. So this is trying to psychologically bridge the gap. So for example, the, the idea I said about if you're in the NHS, you're given a debt advice flyer, you're too anxious to go to that setting, to the mm. citizen so advice, or too anxious to ring this will help you do sort of graded exposure, which is facing your fears gradually to try and get you to that position. It will try and help you tackle some of those negative thoughts you have about, oh, they're going to judge me and the shame. So it's really trying to help people access the wider support there. So it's trying to kind of join the gaps. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'm
4: gonna,
0: just to prove that we do have a listener, I've got a listener question um, from, um, from Danny Cheatham, so via Twitter. Uh, hi, Danny. Um, and the question is, and I'll let anyone jump in, but maybe I might look to Martin first to kind of um, respond to this. And the question is kind of, how can financial services overcome the societal perception that sometimes some types of mental health problem, like I think Danny's alluding to gambling and other addictions here, are somehow the fault of the customer while others aren't? Danny's adding that this can cause uh, stigma and secrecy, and it's an attitude that really needs to be changed, so
1: what's your thoughts on that, Martin? So I, th- I think uh, my first response would be that it's a wider societal um, question, so it's not just uh, for a bank, and I think we also, uh, interestingly, we talk about a bank being an organisation and everybody inside it has exactly the same thoughts, we don't. We've got 70,000 people that have always got their own thoughts, and are also going through those kind of issues and concerns and i think it's for us as a, a corporate entity to recognize and to educate that it isn't uh, they, they are different they are a mental health problem um, but i think also if you think about gambling and generally it's a, a in the now we've got so much talk around so many adverts first of all but so much talk about actually what's the role for government what's the role for the gambling industry those areas to to tackle this as a problem um, and I think that's happening at the same time as you're trying to talk about delivering better outcomes for people, so um, I think it's happening, but how do you get it to a point against the uh, backdrop of uh, all the other things that are going on? It, it, is, it is very, very tough. No, I always feel like I'm saying it's tough because it's big and it's horrible, but it is. Mm. Um, but I think we are turning that dial. We are, we've turned a dial where we're talking about mental health, mental wellbeing daily as mm. an organisation. I have been in the organisation for almost 20 years. That certainly wasn't the case when I first started counting Kashner uh, on a counter down in Walsall, in, in Hampshire. So that's that is that change. But that will not and cannot stop just because we've got to this point today.
0: Yeah, it's that positive response. It's always it's always sometimes of vulnerable situations are good vulnerabilities and some types are kind of ones that we kind of don't kind of connect with immediately there's a sort of moral or a value judgment to that and perhaps we see that within mental health as well mm-hmm. in terms of we might be comfortable talking about um, depression or anxiety mm-hmm. but if you have someone with personality disorder or someone who's a little more challenging and difficult to deal with maybe that's something we don't think.
4: I, e- Even in, even in the best practice organizations, you still see it with the language. I know we said we wouldn't talk about language, but you do see it in the languages when you talk about people's preferences. Like, what's your communication preference? That's a massively stigmatizing word, because it suggests it's not a need. It suggests that the people who who need to communicate in a certain way have have been awkward and chosen to communicate that way, rather than accepting that we all have different needs. So I, I think... There's a massive societal change, that's exactly what Martin was saying.
1: Fantastic. And and so just lead on to that, I think there's also the impact of people's own experiences and own exposure. So uh, if we think about how we will look after people with cancer, it's a very prevalent thing in society. Everybody Mm. knows somebody that's gone through it. Mm. Therefore, they have a view on how their employer should deal with them and how their bank should deal with them. I think we are starting to get that with mental health. People are going through it and lived, experienced, or have someone, or know someone because we are raising the bar, but it does feel many years behind, and therefore we, people are allowed to turn around to me and say, I think we should do this. Great, that's great to hear that we can move that forward. Yeah. Fantastic. We're, we're going to kind of wrap this up with one last question.
0: Uh, so we started the podcast uh, with Elaine Kempson's kind of game changer recommendations to the financial services industry. So as briefly as you can, um, can you name your game changer past, present or even future
4: in relation to mental health, Dan? I certainly can. I have two. The first is sitting on top of open banking um, is having what we have with bereavement, is having a tell-at-once service where I can create a profile that then pushes out to whoever I want to and I don't have to repeat my experience multiple times. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second, and looking to a longer future, is we were talking about tailoring things and I think Netflix can curate your, exactly what movie you want after three or four interactions with you. Um, I think we have to be more open to using AI and machine learning to tailor banking services to individuals, um, including those of the of health. Tom? Um,
3: I think like I said before, anything that gives people a sense of control and some ownership, being able to feel a bit more on top of their finances, um, technology might be a part of that, um, and both in terms of making it easier to access finances, but maybe for the people who are prone to impulsive spending, trying to give them a bit more using technology to give them ways to reduce their vulnerability to impulse spending when they're unwell. Well
0: we're going to have a technology episode so maybe we can get both of you back on that and explore it a little further. Sarah?
2: I think I thought about it um, in terms of positive game changes and potential negative game changes over the time and I think looking back from an advice perspective some positive game changes were the introduction of the mild guidelines, the debt and self evidence form, I think that changed for an advice organisation.
0: So these were two pieces of earlier guidance and a tool to help, one to help with communication with health professionals like um, Tom to gather medical evidence and the other providing guidance on debt collection for advisers and creditors.
2: Yeah, having worked in the advice sector before that was introduced and after, for me that was a game changer. And also actually the FCA um, definition of vulnerability and that focus then, uh, we've definitely seen a, a change in relation to the financial sector. I think a negative game-changer, and one that hasn't come up in discussion yet um, interestingly because I thought I probably would have banged on about it before now, um, is changes to the benefit system. If we're thinking about money in the round, um, the changes to the benefit system is a huge negative impact on our client group um, and that's the main issue that we're dealing with at the moment on the advice line. Thank you.
1: Martin? I think I'll probably finish on simplification. So uh, whilst mental health is an ultra complex topic, actually how can we get to a point of simplification for people that are having to react positively at Mm -hmm. that point and and helping those individuals, those channels, those bits of technology even, to react in the right way. That, That will be the game changer because that will encourage trust. It will encourage people to disclose and it creates a much more open environment that's delivering what people need. Fantastic.
0: Well, we've reached the end, sadly, uh, but I think this is an issue that we uh, we should return to in the future, particularly given all the interest around it in terms of both the kind of the human and the social side the engaging of engaging on mental health and also the technology as well. Um, if you've been affected by or interested in any of the issues or the initiatives or the apps that have been discussed or Sarah's service, um, then please do visit um, www.moneyadvicetrust.org/podcasts for more information. Thanks for listening and goodbye.